had you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> I was tired as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Did you tell me you built a time machine? What about the Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Monday, March 19th, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, folks, the voice of Young Adult Cancer. I'm your co-host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 18-year Young Adult Survivor of Brain Cancer. And I'm your co-host, Annie Goodman, journalist, Young Adult Breast Cancer Survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. Well done. It is not okay, folks, that 73,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners here May 19, 2014, on the Blog Talk Radio Network, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listening to the archives on stupidcancershow.org. Tonight's show, which is May 19th, I am caught up in a time zone problem, apparently. That's you, DeLorean. Yes. Save the clock tower. Save the clock Stupid stomach cancer. On tonight's show, there are 22,000 diagnoses of stomach cancer each year, which is a significant percentage, including young adults. Join us as we welcome Debbie Zeldman, the founder of uh, Debbie's Green Foundation, and uh, Brandy, uh, I think it's Carrasco, also from Debbie's Green Foundation, and live in studio here, the one and only Jess Mack, for an intimate conversation about this often under-discussed disease. And I am Maureen Sweet, and it's still May 19th, and I am the manager of programs and operations here at Stupid Cancer, and I will be live-tweeting throughout the broadcast at Kimodex, so send me your questions and feedback at any time with the hashtag That's two weeks in a row, right? Yeah. It's just going to be March until June. We're going to get you a, uh, a colonoscopy or something to make sure everything's all right. Yeah. I think girls are confused because winter was so long. Maybe. I think that's why. No, two weeks in a row. Like I'm gonna like bold faced giant pipe May instead of March. Do they have any uh, rectal MRS? <laughs> <laughs> the problem being that this is our last May show. Are you insinuating so. insinuating that my speech center is in my rectum? <laughs> <laughs> that you talk out your ass. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I Maybe didn't even bit. intend to do that, but and, I will. And it fills in the blank right there. <laughs> well done. Well done. Welcome back, Andy. Good to have you here again. Thanks. Two weeks in a row. Yes. Starting a streak, a trend. Yeah. 
Should be. Yeah. Things are things are all right. So let's see. Okay. I'm starting a treatment next week, so hopefully that will be nice to me, and I'll be able to continue coming in and hanging out with you guys every Monday. Well, we kind of need you. You're on I the know. marquee. I know I am. <laughs> but you don't. But sometimes you know. Sometimes treat makes you not feel good. Yeah. But like when, hopefully I'll be okay. Like when what's her face left Fleetwood Mac for a little while. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Didn't get that reference. All right. Stevie Nicks, I know that one. Stevie Nicks. I know no, the other one. Uh, oh, I don't know. Peter McGee, Frampton? McGee, he was in the... He's in the who? Yeah. I have no idea. Movie. Well, <laughs> we're all... Con- I'm confused. Let's talk about Broadway. To the Google. This has been your pop culture <laughs> moment for the yes, day. Exactly. Yeah. Total fail. Anyway. Well, I'm glad you're back. Thank you. Good to see you, as always. Thank you, Any, you too. any new updates? Um, Since last Monday? March uh, I'm supposed to have a test. <laughs> I was supposed to have it. So the clinical trial, I'm trying to get. I'm still trying to get into. It should be fine, but I never say it's a done deal until I like signed a line and start taking the medication. So the only uh, gripe I had today is I was supposed to have a six-hour test today. Is that it? Yeah, that's all. Well, it's like you go, you get an injection, it takes like a half hour, and you become nuclear, and then um, you leave for three hours, and you go back and I was getting it done at my cancer center instead of the cancer center where I'd be doing the clinical trial. And it was like, who's on first? No one called my insurance company to pre-approve the test. Oh, boy. So I couldn't get it done. I wait, we waited until like the last hour, and it just wasn't happening. And every, like every everyone was blaming everybody. And I was like, okay, I, I think that we need to stop blaming each other and just figure out how to get this taken care of. Well, I don't know if that was an intentional segue by made me nuclear, <laughs> but we have a, a, a drop-in guest uh, this evening. I'll, I'll give you a little historical perspective. Back in the day when I was considering getting into advocacy, I was just a musician who beat cancer, and I was working in the advertising world, but I met another musician who was a young adult cancer survivor, and it blew my mind, not just to meet somebody who was sick in their 20s, but who was also a musician that was sick and wrote music because they were sick and, and, and were living with through and beyond their treatments. And over the course of a couple of years, I met 45 musicians that were young adult survivor musicians. And it was incredible. And one of them, uh, a gentleman named Charlie Lussman, and I met him indirectly through some connection, but he wrote a song which was such a wonderful tongue-in-cheek, stick-poking trigger for me personally called Made Me Nuclear about how you get these radioactive treatments and then you can like, you know, the Geiger counter goes off in your house and you can't touch your cat. (laughs) So I was really, the stars aligned in some weird way where I happened to be in Santa Monica on business uh, one day and he happened to have his one-man show opening night that night in Santa Monica at the Santa Monica Playhouse. What are the odds of that happening? None, right? So I went to go see him, and I saw the opening night of Made Me Nuclear, the one-man show, and he emailed me a couple of weeks ago, Matt, I'm going to be in town for, he's going to tell us, but he just showed up and he's here. So please welcome Charlie Lussman to the Stupid Cancer Show. Thank you. Nice to be here, baby. Welcome back. Oh, yeah. Really exciting. Um, again, that was that, that's the origin story, I suppose, yeah. of our love affair. That was great that you were there yeah. that night. That was yeah. wonderful. That's what you like to call Bashert. Bashert, exactly. Maureen's like, what? I know that one. Yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> the Yenta found him for yes. you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you had osteosarcoma of the jaw, yeah, which so, is always awesome. Yeah, that's off the scale. I'm supposed to have been struck by lightning 400 times before getting that. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm going to stand near you. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I am, I'm lucky. I'm very lucky because I survived and I wrote this thing in the chemo chair and it's defined my life for the last seven years and I'm making a difference. But so, you were you playing know. long before you were sick. Yeah, yeah, I was. But I took a break and I decided to work really hard and then I almost died. So uh, right. hard work does kill yes. if you don't like what you do or love what you do. Yeah. So that's the whole key. I'm trying to tell Matt that. Yeah. Well, my, what, what is it I always say my dad says, like, get a job you love and never work again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of a good thing to think about. Yeah. You've done that. Yeah. 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 No, I went back to my, my first passion, and it's been a wonderful ride, especially being able to help other people see that you know, today is the day, no matter what your diagnosis is. So you were 40. Yeah. Married. Yeah, kid on the way. Yeah, kid on the way. Not that there's yeah. a good time to get sick, but there's never yeah. a good time. But uh, yeah, it was a little scary when you know you got the three-year-old and the pregnant wife and everything, and then they're nuking right. you and scanning you, and they're and like, you "Can't go near your kids. Don't go near your pregnant wife." I'm like, "Yeah, okay." Yeah, right. You know, uh, that what whole hotel are you putting me up at? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'll be in the basement of the dungeon. Yeah. yeah, I slept on the couch that night. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, breakfast yeah. was interesting. What were your symptoms? I just had a bump in my gum line. That was it. I went to the dentist, and I'm like, what's that? And he's like, I don't know. And he called over three other associates in between them. They had 100 years of experience, and they're like, we don't know what that is. Oh, boy. That made me feel great. Yeah. yeah. So they sent me to a periodontist. A confidence builder. Yeah, yeah. And the periodontist who saw it in the gum line said, I don't know what that is. And I've been in the business for 30 years. I'm like, I'm feeling really good right now. <laughs> and they, uh, they, they cut it out and sent it to a lab, and it came back. And you're the lucky winner, one in 400 million osteosarcoma. We're going to cut off your jaw and nuke you for a year with chemo. Yeah. Yeah. So you had a prosthetic made. I did, right. I did. But not uh, immediately. No, it took the year. You have to heal up after the chemo before they give it to you so your your face will, like, accept the the piece. Right. You know, and uh, it still hasn't necessarily accepted it. And, uh, it's okay. I mean, I, I accept it. It's great, though, because I'm the most popular guy in Halloween, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Come to my house, I will. Pop out your jaw. They, they just wait in line. It's yeah. great. Did you see the, uh, you know. the new James Bond movie? Mm-mm. Oh, you should. Which one? The new one. Which one was it? Oh. Uh, the one with the Dell singing the theme, the theme song. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so basically the guy, like, he, he, like I don't want to give too much away, but he's a survivor of, like, this terrible explosion. Yeah. And he takes out, like, his jaw and a half, and his face just kind of, like, sinks in. Yeah, that's like me. Like evil villain. Yeah, no, that's, that's me. You should see it. Yeah, I, I see it every morning and evening. And I, <laughs> never mind. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> but, but, it. but it reminds me of how lucky I am. Yeah. that I'm still here, truly. It's one of those things that you're faced with when you have like a head and neck type thing, uh, that, especially something that's removable, that reminds you how lucky you are to still be here and then do something about it to, to maybe help other people. So your, your kids are now how old? you got a 5, 7, and 10-year-old. Oh, wow, three. Yeah. Yeah, and when they get me really angry, I take my prosthetic child. <laughs> and I throw it. In the house it. No, I throw it at them because it's made of metal. So it, when it hits, it's like it really. You know. That's good parenting. Yeah, it works. It works. <laughs> it's a challenge when I sing because sometimes it flies out and hits somebody in the front row. Yeah. And then I just. I, like Gallagher. Yeah. But, but the, 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 the program has a thing in the back that says, please return the prosthetic if <laughs> you find it. So the show can go on. Well, I'd love it if you would play. <laughs> Perform for us live, maybe nuclear. It's, it's one of my all, seriously without I'm not pandering. It's one of my all time favorite songs. And given the context and where I was in my life at the time, but there was no organization back then, and it was just trying to find my way. And it, it really made uh, 
it made me feel like I belonged a little more. You know, that was the idea behind the whole thing, yeah. that we can all relate to each other on this journey. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to hear that right now? You want to sing Maybe Nuclear right now? Yeah, right now. I love it. Okay. Wait, what are the odds? You have the guitar. I love guitars in the house. <laughs> and they shot me. They made me nuclear. And they told me that it would make me glow. Oh, yes, they proudly radiated me. Because they want to see right through my bones. They took me down a hallway floor. It looked just like a psycho ward. Because it was underneath the hospital like a bomb shelter. And there I was in a movie scene right in front of a time machine. H.G. Wells would sure be proud. Because they shot me. They made me nuclear. And they told me that it would make me glow. Oh, oh, yes, they proudly radiated me because they want to see right through my bones and they promised me when I got home that I wouldn't feel a thing they scanned but I could light a light bulb in my hand well done. Very good. I edited it. I made it a little shorter and That's sweeter okay. just because we're, you know, radio and time. And, you know. Well, you get the applause anyway. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's the funny thing. It's like people are like, yay, they sought off his job, you know, <laughs> which is the idea of the whole project, why I called it Maybe Nuclear. Yeah. Is to kind of like, what? What's going on? Yeah. You know, and, and people applaud and then they're like, whoa, you know, so there's a little contrast in there, but, you know, well, I mean, it works. I, I, we, it's, it's the thing. Like when I got radiated, they put you in a bank vault. The door is like 12 feet thick, made of lead, mm-hmm. and they, everyone steps out in yeah. like, like hazmat suits. Yeah. And you're in the, oh, the big echo with the door closing, the lights come on, like flickering. That's, how do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> Can you, how, how did you do that? How did you? I'm not going to show you the magic of oh. the camera over here. My favorite is when they wear a hazmat suit to put something in your body. Yeah. And everyone walks out. And they're like, one of my fr- one of my friends gave me the brain radiation because I wanted to show her like a scary mask or whatever. And she was like sitting down and getting comfortable in the uh, room where I get radiated. And I was like, oh no no no, you need to go outside. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the doors probably weigh like 500 pounds each. And yeah yeah. It's like, yeah, you're like, oh, it makes that giant echoes thunderous thud when it closes. <laughs> then they're all laughing outside, like, I can't believe we did it. <laughs> yeah. I just think it's kind of funny that they give you that Mozart music and things like that. Yeah. You know, it's the contrast between, like, this beautiful da 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 in a uh, like Bose uh, setup, oh, yeah? and listen to your own music. Mm. That's what I did. That's progress. That is mm. a lot of progress because. Pretending I brought my boombox to radiation <laughs> and plugged it into myself, and they said you can't have anything electronic in this room. I said, watch me. Yeah. <laughs> and they let me do it. I mean, it's still. And yesterday I had a brain MRI, and I got to they asked me what Pandora station I wanted to listen Ooh, to. Wow. I mean, you could like barely hear it because it's, like, <laughs> it's like these, all you hear are magnets, yeah. and yeah. you're like, my poor little head has yeah. been radiated like, and had like surgery. Yeah. I know. And then, and then the nurse who couldn't access my veins had the gall to be like, you were really fidgety in there. I'm like, I'm going to shove your head and helmet <laughs> in a coffin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't tell me I'm fidgety. Well, in any case, we're going to welcome our Survivor Spotlight 
sweating nervously in the chair over there. We've never done a show on stomach cancer. This is our first show on stomach cancer. It's making me hungry. Speaking <laughs> 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 of bedside manner. Oh, boy. Anyway, Jessica McKenzie, otherwise known as Jess Mac, was diagnosed with a rare form of stomach cancer called hereditary diffuse gastric cancer, which makes up only 1% to 3% of all traditional stomach cancer cases, although not very common in the U.S. Apparently, it is the second deadliest cancer worldwide. So, please welcome to the Super Cancer Show, Jessica McKenzie. Welcome. All the way from Long Island. Lucky me. Yeah. <laughs> Massapequa. We, I grew up in the same place. It's, uh, As Alec Baldwin would say, it's a magical place. Pleasant. I couldn't help but notice that you're not 80. Yeah, I'm 21. Wow. 21 going on 80. Yeah. It's true. It's yeah. Ask anyone. My cane. <laughs> yeah. So so you were diagnosed with this crazy, not just cancer, not just regular cancer, not but like crazy rare stomach cancer, but crazy rare, rare stomach cancer. <laughs> it's, uh, it was fun. It was a fun time. <laughs> Good times. Um, yeah. How old were you? Uh, well, we found out that my family had a mutation when I was 19. and For what reason prompted you to find that out? My aunt passed away in oh, okay. 2010. And so when I was away at school for my sophomore year of college at Virginia Tech, my family started doing testing and they found it. And so I was 19 and I was diagnosed with cancer at age 20 and they took out my stomach a month later. So did they... All right, so there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of things to that. First of all, kudos to whoever treated your... I'm sorry, your, your, your aunt passed away, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that they had the wherewithal to test for genetics? Yeah. yeah. Is that, was that a new thing? I mean, I, I kind of always had, like, the feeling that it could be genetic because she was only 43, and that's really young for stomach cancer. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's an autosomal dominant mutation called CD, or of the CDH1 gene, and it's like a 50% chance that I could have inherited it. And so you did. Jackpot. Yeah. So did they remove it preventatively, or did you actually have the early beginnings of actual cancer? Um, well, I was asymptomatic. Basically what happened was I went back to school for the beginning of my junior year, but was depressed over the fact that I had this weird mutation. So I came home and had my first of what should have been many routine scopes, and they found two spots of stage one cancer in my stomach. Okay. Um, and then after the surgery, there were 13 total, and they only found two because, yeah, with the type that we get, like, they usually don't find it until it's stage four, um, and it's too late. And it usually present, presents itself in the stomach lining, which makes it very difficult to find in, yeah. on an endoscopy. It was all over the place. Yeah. Um, I know with my aunt, like, they didn't know it was stomach cancer until right. it was too late for her. So do you show... Symptoms? Well, you were asymptomatic, but what are the typical symptoms of stomach cancer? I mean, I know with her, like, she couldn't eat and she was in pain and always sick. With me, I love food. I love food mm-hmm. so much, so <laughs> I ate as usual. But I know they didn't want to have me tested for the mutation because they thought I was too young, and they said, you won't have cancer, but it was there. And yeah, I, I think I would, famous last word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that we were born with it. I think that it might be there from right. the start. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right, so 
I was a senior in college when this mm-hmm. happened to me. You were junior in college, so I, I kind of get that whole, wow, I'm, I'm enjoying myself, I'm partying, I'm learning, I'm, I'm making, you know, whatever, and then, bam, right? Yeah, that was... Did you have to leave school? I did. I left school like a month into fall semester, and then um, this past spring, I guess, was my first semester back at Virginia Tech after taking a year and a half off. What is awesome. the name of the medical procedure to remove a stomach? It's called a total gastrectomy. Gastrectomy. Yeah. So what do they they tie the duodenum to the lower intestine or something? Mm-hmm. I think yeah, they connected esophagus and small intestine. And people always ask me, "How do you eat?" And I'm right. like, "Well, <laughs> I put the food in my mouth <laughs> and I chew the food and eat it." Have you had to change your eating habits because of this? I should have. <laughs> what happened? I'm always, yeah, I really enjoy my pizza rolls and my mac and cheese. Um, There's nothing wrong with pizza rolls. Oh, no. They're so good. They are of the heavens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sadly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, uh, the one thing I'm not really supposed to do is dairy. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't stop me. I really like strawberry milk. I well, I guess it. as long as you can tolerate it. What about, what about like soy milk or almond milk? You know, it's weird. I think everything makes me sick. Like some days I can go and eat nine whole pizza rolls in one sitting and be okay, yeah. and then the other, the next day I'll have one and I'll like be incapacitated and I'll have to miss all my classes and be laying there nauseous all day. It's just really weird. So sometimes I can drink milk, sometimes I can't. Sometimes I can drink soy milk or almond milk, sometimes I can't. Right. Um, it's just kind of unpredictable. They don't really know a lot. So did you have uh, additional treatments besides just the gastrectomy? I had only the gastrectomy, and then I had clean margins. But then (laughs) before surgery, I gained 40 pounds on purpose because what the hell? Right. (laughs) Go crazy. (laughs) I like two Thanksgivings before um, surgery. So I guess because I lost a lot of weight really quickly afterwards, I ended up with an internal hernia. Oh, Wow. Really okay. painful. So I had to have more surgery for that to fix it. Um, have you sued pizza rolls? No. <laughs> pizza rolls are my ally. <laughs> so have one, you emailed them to see if you can get some free ones? Yeah. Like, hey, I have no stomach, but I'm eating you anyway. I should try that. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things I saw was in, in articles written about you is you also have a 60% chance of developing breast cancer. Yeah. So is that something that you're being screened for now? Um, they said to start doing MRIs at like 25, so soon. But that's the whole genetics. Mm-hmm. You know, you have BRCA. This has its own BRCA. Yeah. What's, the, what's it called? CDH1. Right. CDH1 mm-hmm. is the BRCA of stomach cancer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. But it can lead to other things, and mm-hmm. it's genetic. and it's, yeah, It's so, lovely. Yeah. It's just a peach. So, okay, I have another question. So it's the second deadliest cancer worldwide. Where is this cancer generally found? I think Asia. Like, okay, like Japan, China, Asia? Um, not in America. As opposed to Israel, Asia. Exactly. Well, that's what I was saying. Because <laughs> yeah. like, that's the other Asia. Yeah. People don't know that. Middle East is Asia. Yeah. 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 yeah no. so. wonder, I wonder why, though. Like, is it lifestyle? What are they doing over there? They're getting, like, the rarest cancer here. Is the most know. common cancer there? It's really weird. That's the one strange. thing my, one of my doctors said about mutations is it's usually, um, and when you find it in clusters, it's a demographic thing. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what they always told me. That's what they told me, like, you didn't get your breast cancer from the water on Long Island. They tested the soil. It's it's a demographic thing. Like, right. And then it technically is because it's found Ashkenazi Jews. And yeah. that's what they usually say about when, those genetic cancers. Well, Mackenzie's a Jewish name. 
<laughs> I, I think that they first found this mutation in the Maori people in New Zealand. Really? I don't know how okay. I ended up. You were shipped here, really. Yeah. Well, your dad's here. He can tell you your origin story. <laughs> yeah. So how did this take its toll on your life as an, as an 18, 19, 20-year-old? This, this, well. Your friends. I mean, obviously, the, the obvious stuff is in your eating habits, right? But yeah. you're, you're, you know, uh, just being social, your fatigue, managing, you know, the stigma. I'm bad. When something bad happens to me, I tend to shut down instead of, like, be proactive. I mean, sometimes I can, but... Um, I think my one of the big issues I had early on was um, when people don't know what to do, they tend to do nothing, and that is the worst thing that people right. could do in my eyes. So I struggled with that and was really angry and depressed for a really long time. Now it's kind of I can deal like people just. Did the school let you? I, I know you're back at school. Did they have any problems with you lapsing and coming back? No, they were really good. Um, I know, like I struggled towards like. I went back this semester healthy, but then I, I'm probably deficient in, like, every vitamin there is, so I'm always tired or nauseous. So I ended up taking some incompletes, and they're going to let me finish over the summer. But, like, better submit A quality work than mm-hmm. to finish and submit these. So I will graduate, hopefully, in December. I have 19 credits left. Awesome. I, bachelor's. Well, I did the five-year plan, so don't feel bad. I, mean, I, totally, <laughs> I totally did five years, too. Yeah. yeah, I did three and a half and graduated. So. Well, well, it's no, because my my, my my last half, my last half, I was dying. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are there any? And we're going to have, um, you know, Debbie Zellman out to talk about some of the science and some of the research. But are there stomach cancer survivors? Are, are there nutritional guidelines? Is there anything structured out there from like a survivorship perspective? There's not a lot. That's something that I struggle with. Um, I was on like an antidepressant and I was taking it and I started to get withdrawal symptoms and I was like, why? I'm taking this every day and yeah. then it stopped working. And they didn't tell me that that was going to happen. Um, that's always good when they tell you nothing. They always yeah. say like it's different for everybody, but that's not very helpful. That's the way of saying I don't know and I can't tell you I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the nutritionist would come, nutritionist, frig, okay, nutritionist <laughs> would come in to speak with us. Um, like after surgery, and they'd just be like, well, here's your menu. Yeah. And they would just leave us in the dark. Um, and it's like that with a lot of things like birth control pills and like all that stuff. They don't know what will work on me or right. what I can eat that will make me sick. Cause, and, yeah, some people. Well, that's, that's another issue, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the fertility conversation. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. You know, I mean, with your dad here, I want to put you no. <laughs> Good. But it's it's true. It's it's how does this affect you? You're young. You're not 80. This is the rest. You have hopefully a good 60, 70, 80 years mm-hmm. left in you. You know what are you going to do with that, right? In vitro fertilization. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't pass on the mutation. Right. Mm-hmm. What I'll have to do, which is fine. or adoption or surrogacy. Yeah. There are other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I know some people handle things physically like better with like vitamin absorption. Some people take the B12 milk pads and they have to cut back because it affects them a lot. And right. me, like, nothing helps. I have to get shots and I'll have to get more shots. And... So this is a life, a committed life of, yeah. of self-advocacy and maintenance and management for the, I, forever. I really hate the term new normal. Yeah, that no one likes me. that term. Yeah, no, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you just kind of have to keep trucking and evolving. 
Sure. Eat two pizza rolls instead of 20. So what's your degree going to be in? Um, well, well, I am doing English creative writing, but I mean, my school doesn't really, I would like to go into like advocacy for the young adult cancer movement, but they don't give degrees in that. Right. Kind of just. They clearly don't. <laughs> I got that at Farmingdale. That's weird. <laughs> I just want to be done. It's hard to, I mean, it's hard to relate anymore. Like I know a lot of people, their biggest issue is like which final they're taking next or like who's hooking up with who at work or yeah. like how much alcohol we're going to drink and like I can't have my drunk cheese fries anymore oh, <laughs> at oh, bars. Yeah. It hurts. Oh, no. Cuts me deep. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I kind of just, I'm in a weird in-between where I want to be done with college and move on, but also like I wish I could enjoy it, which I can. I just. You have us. Yay. How did you find stupid cancer? How did that uh, come about? I don't even remember. Probably. Wait, what hospital internet. has it all been happening at? Sloan, Sloan Kevin, okay. in New York City. Yeah, no, the internet is a lovely thing. Right. So I I worked with No Stomach for Cancer a lot. And then right. everybody talks. So I guess eventually I found stupid cancer. I found yeah. out about first defense through did you go to FD? I did. It was. What's your nickname? Tinkerbell. Ah. <laughs> I, I should be Draco Malfoy because I used to have my cool platinum hair, and I mean, we knew your platinum hair. Miss it, or I don't know. I when I speak, I say listen a lot. People at work told me I should be Navi from Legends of Ah, very nice. Yeah, yeah. But alas. Where did you go in FD? I camp. went to Massachusetts to go kayaking. Very nice. It was. That's it's fun. a prescription, that place. It's safe. It should be a prescription. Yeah. Good. Awesome. Well, really, really excited. You, you've been a light to our community. Oh. And, and I mean that. And, and I you think look, you're on the homepage. You're on the homepage. Uh, and you're wearing what she's wearing. I yeah. love that yeah. shirt. That's my favorite thing. Yeah, one of our fashion role model spokespersons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's really special. It's really special. We don't have a lot of, you know, if you look at the bell curve of our organization, over the course of the last seven, eight years, it, it largely falls in the mid to late 20s. Mm-hmm. We don't get a lot of college students. I don't think there's any reason why we don't. We don't not proactively mm-hmm. try to reach them, but you are part of the younger part of the bell curve, and it's important that we understand, yeah. you know, what that's like. I'm, I'm really thankful that you guys are a thing because yeah. I would be really alone if, if it wasn't. Oh, well said. Yeah. We're here. Yeah, so thank, thank you for joining us. You're sticking around. You're here the whole show. <laughs> So, uh, Jess McKenzie, everybody, stomach cancer survivor. Thank you. Can I read it again? It was, um, wait, I lost it. It was called Hereditary Diffuse Gastric Cancer. Very interesting. All right, let's hit up the news here, Kenny. One second. Here we go. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All right, everybody, head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. I'm reading it a lot slower these days, so I don't make it one word. All right, meetups happening in Raleigh, North Carolina, Denver, Colorado, Rockville, Maryland, a special meetup with Matthew Zachary in Chicago, Rochelle Park, New Jersey, Meridian, is that Idaho? Yeah. Idaho. And uh, Houston, Texas. Very nice. Okay, folks, we're talking about Instapeer, our groundbreaking mobile peer support app coming soon to a cell phone near you. Check out instapeer.org, watch our pitch video, and see how we're going to revolutionize cancer support with an anonymous peer matching platform for cancer patients, 
survivors, and caregivers. Truly exciting stuff. Instapeer.org. It's always a good time to stock up on your stupid cancer gear. We've got all new products and styles to choose from that we debuted at the OMG Summit in Las Vegas. Stay nice and cool through summer with a stupid cancer tea. We've also got new skateboards, and now you can give cancer the bird with the actual cancer bird. We named him Flip because he's giving you the finger. Actually, he's giving cancer the bird. Check it out, stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud and wear stupid cancer. And that, that is, is your stupid cancer news. Okay, rounding out the rest of the show here, we've got uh, two great guests. Brandy Carrasco, uh, life was turned upside down when uh, she was 31 as a full-time student, mother of two boys, U.S. Navy veteran, diagnosed with stage 3B gastric cancer at 31 again, and uh, given a 14% chance of survival. I don't like those odds. And joining her is Debbie Zellman, who was 40 years old, mother of three young children, married to a physician and a practicing attorney. Her life radically changed when she learned that she had stage 4 stomach cancer. In 2009, she found that Debbie's dream foundation carrying stomach cancer to aggressively and immediately fund some research to raise awareness about stomach cancer and provide information and assistance to stomach cancer patients, families, and caregivers. Please welcome Debbie Zellman and Brandy Carrasco. Welcome. Hey, guys. Hi, Hi there, Matthew. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for calling in. I'm, this has been a very insightful show so far. I think I've, I mentioned at the top of the show, it's our first show in uh, in 14 seasons on stomach cancer. So we're learning a lot as we go, and we did a lot of research. And it really is a, 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 like a silent cancer. It's not one of those things that's very often discussed, and it's really not about the percentage of people that get it, but you just don't hear about it a lot. And uh, yeah. you're both – we have three – powerful stomach cancer survivor stories on the show tonight and it, it's it's important we shed a light so i'll let uh why don't we let debbie get started because you know th- there's no contest here these are all just remarkable stories thank you so much matthew this is debbie zellman and i really do appreciate being asked to join your show this is so wonderful and i'm so excited to be part of this groundbreaking first show on stomach cancer um wish i was a part of your your organization in another way, but um, unfortunately we are all in the same sorority or fraternity, if you will, uh, as stomach cancer survivors. So I was diagnosed at the age of 40 um, with stage 4, so most likely I had it when I was 38 or 39 or something like that. I was an attorney with my own firm. My twins were 10, and my little one was only 3 years old, and I don't have it in my family. I had no symptoms. Um, I had no history, no um, as you say, you know, what are the, you asked the symptoms, what you asked um, earlier, what are the risk factors, and I had nothing, nothing. I ate salad every day. I was not overweight. Um, I don't have it in my family. And so it was very strange for me to be diagnosed with stomach cancer at the age of 40, very healthy. Um, my symptoms were that when I swallowed, I felt that something wasn't going down. It just wasn't going all the way down. Uh, but that was really kind of it, and then as it progressed, I had a modified barium swallow. They said there's nothing there, and then I got worse. Uh, I got very tired. I had uh, blood in my stool. Um, I got nauseous, and then with more blood work and scans and things, we talked about lighting up with scans. I was definitely lit up with scans, um, and they found that I, 90% of my liver was covered in cancer because my stage 4 cancer was so bad, I probably had a few weeks to live when I was diagnosed. 
Wow. Wow. And then what was your treatment? How did they get you to where you are today? Yeah, good questions. Um, so, you know, because stomach cancer just is not talked about a lot in the United States, there's about 22,000 cases a year in the U.S. And it, um, because of that, it's not a rare cancer. They don't talk about it as being rare. It's a small population cancer. But hereditary diffuse gastric cancer is definitely rare because it's about, as we said, 1% to 3% of all stomach cancers worldwide. Um, but in the U.S., it's a small population cancer. But because of that, there really has been almost no research, almost nothing new in the last 20 or 30 years. So they put me on the standard stuff, if you will, the stuff that's been around forever. The, as I like to say, they pour Drano down my throat. Really, <laughs> they poison you, right? They, they just poison you right to, up to the brink of death. And so I was on three different chemos, and it was horrendous. I would be on IV chemo for five days in a row, but need my port access um, an additional nine days. Uh, it really was just two weeks out of every three of literally torture. And, you know, the toilet was my best friend, and um, I had needed fluids and needed a lot of different other meds to help me stave off the horror, horrible effects of the, the radical and uh, chemotherapy and the old chemotherapy that, like I said, was has been around for 20 or 30 years. So that's what happened for 13 months, and then that stopped working. And at that point, I got on a plane because I was too sick to travel when I was originally diagnosed. So but as I felt better, I got on a plane. I actually went to two different cancer centers, but the one that I settled on was MD Anderson, um, and I've been treated there ever since. It's been, um, you know, we talked about percentages. My percent of being alive in five years after being diagnosed with stage for stomach cancer was only 4%. I'm happy to tell you that I'm now over six years after my diagnosis. Well, that gets a round so, of applause. Yeah, awesome. Good for you. <laughs> Randy, I was reading your, your, um, your, your story, and it reads like a litany of, of a comedy of terrors with these misdiagnoses, and... That rings true. I, I had brain cancer 18 years ago, and I was misdiagnosed for eight months. They diagnosed me pretty much everything except brain cancer until I, until I they actually took me seriously. But I'm reading this, and, and everything is it's just like it might as well be my story just in, in the stomach. Um, but why don't you, uh, you know, paint that picture for us. 31 years old, you have two kids, and it's just, uh, you know, and you're a military vet, and you have this experience, and you probably were trained for self-awareness and all this proactive nature, and then you're hitting all these roadblocks getting answers, correct? Correct. Um, I had a really hard time getting my cancer diagnosed. Initially, I was misdiagnosed with anemia and given a blood transfusion and sent home. That was a year prior to my cancer diagnosis. So for several months, I managed the symptoms, the nausea, the fatigue, all of those nonspecific symptoms that could be anything else. Um, I managed all of that through being healthier and taking my acid-reducing medication, but it got to the point that I woke up and I just felt really fatigued, really tired, body aches, and I knew something was wrong. So I went back in, and sure enough, I had another bleed. They did another endoscopy, and this time they found um, that I had stomach cancer. So 
So that was a year after, you know, being told that I was distressed or anemic rather than um, the actual diagnosis. I also had an H. pylori infection when I was um, given the blood transfusion in 2012. Um, So there were a lot of events there in between, but it was, like I said, it was really difficult to get it diagnosed, and that was the most frustrating part of all this because I think if we had better tools for... uh, diagnosing and screening, it could have been detected earlier. So I'm stage three, and that puts me at a 14% survival rate. So better screening equals better chances of survival. There is a test that can be done for H. pylori. It's called a urea test, and perhaps that's something that can be implemented for veterans because there is a high prevalence in military who travel abroad, which is what I did for several years. Um, and there's a high prevalence of an H. pylori infection. That's Helicobacter pylori. And there's a simple test that can be done to determine whether the person has come in contact with it or not. And then it's treated with antibiotics. And Helicobacter pylori is known to cause stomach cancer. Has the military made that a more, have, you know, people who are getting diagnosed and speaking up about it, has the military done anything to increase testing for that? Not that I'm aware of. It's not something that's implemented. It's The urea test is done in other countries because they have a high prevalence of H. pylori there, for example, in Asia. But the military hasn't implemented anything like that, which I think would be really helpful in detecting this type of cancer, especially since the symptoms are so um, nonspecific. You know, they can be attributed to anything else. For example, I had dull stomach pain and fatigue. Those were my symptoms. And, you know, there's no way of saying, oh, that's stomach cancer. But if they'd known I had an H. pylori infection, that would have been helpful and treating it and diagnosing it earlier. And, and you know, you guys asked earlier about why is stomach cancer more common in the in other countries. So it's, it's, it's more common in, in the Asian countries and in South America. And the, one of the reasons is because of the uh, lack of refrigeration. And so H. pylori is more rampant in these other countries. And therefore, the military is more at risk of contracting H. pylori and coming home and bringing it home, and then it, it's staying in them, not them not knowing they have it, it turns into an ulcer, which eventually turns into stomach cancer. So this could technically be prevented, or severely the risk of it could be significantly reduced with this sort of this awareness, but if it's beholden to, I mean, I guess if we're going to confine it just to the U.S. military and coming home to the U.S., uh, just best practices on the part of, physicians and military medical, right? Yeah, definitely. One of the things that we did, um, I don't think I I mentioned um, that a year after my diagnosis, I started Debbie's Dream Foundation Curing Stomach Cancer. Um, And so we are an international stomach cancer organization. One of the things that we do is to advocate with the federal government for several things, increased 
funding for stomach cancer research, which is really important because per cancer death, stomach cancer receives the least amount of federal funding of any cancer. And we just had our second advocacy day on the Hill in February. One of the other things we talked about was the DOD, Department of Defense, and we educated the Hill. We had over 70 meetings on the Hill, and we educated them about stomach cancer, of course, because the reactions were, we didn't know you can get cancer in your stomach. Wait, nobody's been here before to tell us about stomach cancer. And we said, exactly, that's why we're here. Um, but one of the things that you're saying, Matthew, is exactly that. If, if the military can be screened when they come back you know, from international service, they can have a quick, simple, non-invasive, cheap blood uh, breath test for H. pylori, which would in, in turn help prevent a lot of cases of stomach cancer. And isn't that treatable with antibiotics if it's caught early? It yes, H. Pylori? yes, it's treatable with antibiotics, um, but it's usually once the H. pylori is found, there's already ulcers and complications in the stomach lining, and that is what can lead to the stomach cancer. So there aren't, I don't know if there are specific symptoms for H. pylori infection, but I didn't, I didn't have anything for a long time. I initially went in because I felt very fatigued, had a hard time walking up the stairs and was short of breath. And like I said, they misdiagnosed me with anemia, sent me home, I vomited blood that same night and went back and then they did an endoscopy and that's when they found the H. pylori infection. But from my understanding, a person can have an H. pylori infection and be asymptomatic for a very long time. So what the point is, I think, is to make sure that people are screened for H. pylori. I think that's that's really the bottom line, you know, obviously, because if Brandy had been screened when she came back uh, to the U.S., they could have possibly prevented her from getting stomach cancer. But, you know, understand also, because I think it's important to talk to the audience at large, is that um, H. pylori is only one cause of stomach cancer. Um, as you know, hereditary diffuse we talked about. But in general, there's other causes for stomach cancer. There's a lot of risk factors for stomach cancer. But I think something really important for this audience to point out is that for people ages 25 to 39 in the U.S., stomach cancer is on the rise. Let me say that again. 29, 20, 25 to 39, there's been a 70% increase in that age group since 1977, but we don't know why. The government doesn't know why, and I think that's really scary and something that we should all be aware of. So if anybody has those symptoms, and we have the symptoms outlined on debbiestream.org. Um, so people can check out, if they think they have symptoms, they can go to our website and see, read about the symptoms and see, hey, you know, maybe this is me, maybe it's not, but they can check it out and check out the resources we have to maybe allay your fears or maybe confirm, God forbid, your fears um, of what's going on with you so that you might know if you possibly have stomach cancer. Well, Debbie, this echoes very strongly to some of the other shows we've done on the rare cancers increasing in younger people like colorectal, lung, yes. prostate, and that there is no, sometimes there is a genetic tie, like Annie has had BRCA and, and, and Jess had, um, I'm going to mess up the, 
the the genetic <laughs> thing again. <laughs> right. So, but in terms of why are we getting it? You know, it, it, it's interesting to see that the incidence is increasing, but for what reasons? And we've done a lot of shows with military vets, and, and most of them get blood cancers because they're like doing toxic cleanup work and working with minefields and whatever, and and they just get leukemia because of their their thing. But this is something completely different. This is contracting a virus or a bacteria offshore, bringing it home, not being able to be screened for it. So what, right. what have you discovered in, uh, in, in, since starting this organization and doing all your efforts uh, in terms of research or in terms of awareness or prevention? Is there, is there real science behind any of this yet? Yeah, so it's a great question, Matthew. Um, Debbie Stream Foundation is exactly all those things you mentioned. As we know in, in the cancer community, there's, of course, raising awareness, which you guys are just doing an awesome job with, and, you know, tonight's show and everything that you do. We also do that as well um, internationally. We raise awareness about stomach cancer because, like I said to you, on the Hill, the reaction was, wait, you need cancer in your stomach? So that's something really important. Um, and really, we're we're the first out there to do this because six years ago when I got stomach cancer, there was nothing for stomach cancer patients. So we, I started the organization. Um, in addition, as you're talking about research, which is so important because as we know, right, we all know, cancer survivors know that research funding equals better treatments, which can eventually equal cures. And so with stomach cancer, the really six years ago was very, very little research going on in stomach cancer. As I said to you, there really hadn't been any new um, treatments in 20 or 30 years for stomach cancer. So we are strong advocates all over the country. We have 20 chapters all over the country and one in Canada and one in Germany. Um, but so we are strong advocates for increasing research. We have funded research directly, but we also are big advocates for moving the, the millions of dollars um, that the federal government spends funding research. So we know that the National Cancer Institute is the biggest funder of research, but as I said earlier, for cancer deaths, stomach cancer receives the least amount of federal funding of any cancer. So when we brought this to the attention of the lawmakers, they were shocked. And we said, that's because nobody's been here yet to try to move that mark with you. Um, and so trying to move that mark is really important because we see that there are other chemos, or as we say, targeted therapies now, those new targeted therapies, which we're, we know are coming down the line. And what we've now seen with stomach cancer is a new biomarker that they see in breast cancer that they're finding also now in uh, lung cancer, and it's the HER2 biomarker. And so because of the breast cancer research and the breast um, uh, experimentation that's going on, them finding the HER2 marker in stomach cancer has been revolutionary for those who are HER2 positive. I happen to be HER2 positive. And so I'm lucky, if you will, right? We're not lucky to get cancer, but if you're going to get stomach cancer, um, you know, to have a biomarker right now that they know of, which is this HER2 biomarker, is really important. There's a drug that, several drugs um, that they're looking at. And again, I am a beneficiary of the breast cancer research. That's going on. So, so not that they're doing. Yeah. No, go ahead, finish. Oh, it's okay. Not that they're doing much in stomach, but that is something that they've that they've adapted. They've seen the research going on in breast cancer and realized that some stomach cancer patients, it's about twenty percent or so, 
are positive for the HER2 biomarker. So does that mean that they can benefit from, like, Herceptin, Progetta, dr- drugs like that that are used yes. for the breast cancer yes. target treatment? Yes, exactly. Okay. I, I wasn't sure if I should mention specific drugs, but you hit the nails all on the head. That's exactly what's happening. Yes. And well, that's you know, the like, trend. I, I, we're, we're seeing I that think, trend now. Um, most people don't yes. even know this. The HER2 gene was discovered in a neuroblastoma in a four-year-old. Yes. <laughs> so... Also, it had nothing to do with breast cancer when they found it. They just found the gene and then started to identify it with breast cancer. Yeah. And now it works in colorectal cancer. Mm-hmm. It works in kidney cancer. And it works apparently now in stomach cancer. That's very interesting. Yes. Yeah. And also in, in lung cancer, yep. There, and I think there's another yeah. cancer. I don't want to – I think I know which one, but it's okay. But, you know, it's so interesting because people then say, well, I don't understand what that is. I like to analogize it to a beacon in the middle of an ocean a ship trying to find the harbor. So it's a signal um, that the cancer itself, the tumor itself, gives off. And um, the Herceptin or Vergetta or whatever they're using um, finds those beacons in the midst of the darkness. And instead of killing all the healthy cells, like the regular chemo that I was on that made me bald and made me throw up and made, you know, all those things happen, my nails fall out, um, this doesn't happen with the Herceptin. Um, Progetta is not approved right now for stomach cancer, but they know it's there. We know it's stomach cancer patients who are HER2 positive know that Progetta is out there being, um, you know, used this in some like too. So I always forget it. I, I'm not HER2 positive, but I always forget the name. It starts with a K. But, yeah, uh, HER2. It's, so is this in clinical trials or is this FDA approved? I know you said Progetta. that uh, Progetta is not FDA approved yet. Progetta, I be, I, I'm not sure of the status of it with breast cancer. I believe it's could be approved or, or maybe pending approvals with breast, but it absolutely is not approved for stomach cancer. Um, yeah, it's, approved. it's definitely approved for breast. I was just curious if it was approved yet for uh, stomach cancer. Yeah, it's funny because the BRCA mutation, you're not just at risk for breast cancer, you're at risk for uh, pancreatic cancer and ovarian yes. cancer and melanoma. And, and it's like, and it's and we can a stomach cancer, stomach cancer as well with BRCA. Yeah. You know that, yep, absolutely. Same with, like, Lynch syndrome, you're at a higher risk for colon and stomach cancers, things like that. But I wanted to also share with you um, something that's happened with me recently. Um, I've been on several different chemos. I, I still am on chemo, and um, as, of, as of a month ago, my cancer has come back. Um, and you would not believe where I am right now. <laughs> I'm actually in a hospital bed at MD Anderson. Um, on my fifth week of radiation and Herceptin. <laughs> so I am, yeah, I'm here because, you know, it's just they, they don't really know what to do with me right now. I'm, I'm in uncharted territory um, because I'm still here six years after diagnosis of stage four. Well, we're here for you, as you know, and I, I really am proud of you for, for doing what you're doing. You, you've really it seems like you've taken the reins on this in a way that other people haven't or hasn't been done before. And if, if you're the first person to walk into the house and say, stomach cancer exists, by the way, you know, that's pretty cool to be the first person there. Um, but I, I wanted to just turn the conversation back to Brandy for a second. Again, through the lens of that, this is a young adult themed organization and a mission and that we, we like to talk about how we're not any more special than other age groups, but we're very different in other age groups, you still have uh, two young boys that you're dealing with, Franny, and how has parenting been for them and educating them and 
what kind of support are they getting uh, on their end of the table with a parent who's ill? Well, it's been pretty difficult because from radiation therapy and chemotherapy, I get a lot of fatigue and nausea. I've had several days where I'm just laying in bed because I don't have the energy to get up and run around with them. Um, So they've definitely noticed a difference. They ask why mommy can't play tag, why mommy can't do this or the other. Um, But I've been lucky and I have a lot of support from my, my entire family and my friends. So we've had grandparents step in and kind of try to fill my role which isn't the same, of course, but um, they have a lot of questions about why why mommy is still sick, when is mommy going to get better. So we're slowly answering those questions. They're four and six years old, so we haven't even mentioned the C word to them. Um, well, just in case you're not aware, there, there's a camp uh, called Camp Kesem, K-E-S-E-M, Camp Kesem is a national organization that does camps for children whose parents are sick. And it's run by social workers and therapists and occupational therapists and and, and only clinical um, providers. And it's specifically for children whose young adult parents are sick. And uh, just making you, I'm I'm a card-carrying member, advocate of of the organization. We know all the people there. And it may just be something you might, you know, I mean, even for Debbie, for everybody, if, if you have a child that, if you are sick and have a young child, Camp Kesem is an amazing resource for them. I, I emphatically agree with that, Matthew. We do have them um, listed on our resources page already. Um, we're, we've met a few people from their organization, from the uh, Georgetown chapter, and uh, I think that's a great endorsement. So where are we at now? I see that you, uh, this is for Debbie, we, we, you've now uh, put in motion Stomach Cancer Awareness Month in November. You're it, advocating on it, the Hill. Yeah. We, we are doing a Curing Stomach Cancer Month in November. Um, it's a really worldwide thing that everybody can get involved with, and there's lots of information on DebbieStream.org, of course, about all the things we're doing, because we do things also throughout the year. We don't want to just focus on one month. We, of course, it's good to note it in, in November um, that we want to cure stomach cancer, but we have things all over the country. We have an Ohio event coming up on June 7th, Chicago Half Marathon on September 7th, and other events you know, throughout the year. Um, but something else that I want to highlight, if you don't mind, Matthew, is that um, we do education and support uh, through a free patient resource education program that's a mentor program. It's free. We match people up by stage and by biomarker. Um, hopefully, if we can, by gender, by um, region, and uh, by age. So it's nice. Maybe a young person can speak to another young person, like Brandy would speak to somebody else. Um, and so we have mentors that we assign, but we also do education for free all year long. We just had our fourth annual Stomach Cancer Education Symposium, and just like this is the first show on stomach cancer, same thing goes, you know, throughout across the board on stomach cancer. There just isn't a lot of education, as as Jeff said earlier. Um, you know, for example, on nutrition, she was talking about that she didn't know that she had some malabsorption of some drugs due to her total gastrectomy. We've had the leading experts just spoke on April 26th in South Florida, and we do this each year. 
and we have people live attendance at, in Fort Lauderdale. It's beautiful, of course. We wouldn't want to go to that. But we also offer it worldwide uh, via free webcast. And we do have people appearing from all over the world, and they type their questions in. But we had leading experts from MD Anderson, Sloan Kettering, Vanderbilt, Johns Hopkins, Dana Farber, um, Thomas Jefferson, and, and et cetera. So we had the best of the best who spoke about stomach cancer, surgery, radiation, side effects, management, clinical trials, nutrition, all that other stuff that people like to ask about, you know, whether it's wheatgrass or whatever, you know, we talked about integrative medicine things. Um, and it's not just just um, me saying it, it's the, the best, the doctors from all these institutions. And then, in addition, we had a patient panel, which was really great because the patients can really learn from each other's experiences. So I want to strongly urge everyone to go to the website and look for those lectures. So, so last question for both of you then, Debbie's Dream. Uh, the website is debbiesdream.org, correct? Correct, yes. And um, what is your message to people facing uh, misdiagnoses? I mean, this could apply universally to pretty much anybody. But it's, it's so frustrating when you know that there's something wrong with your body and no one else takes you seriously to the point where I was actually told by campus physicians that it's probably all in your head. And as a guy who had brain cancer, you know, it was, but it just oh, cut so deep there. Um, yeah, but yeah you, this, you make such a great point, Matthew, because really um, when I, I, was, I, I was on Dr. Oz um, back in 2012, and he asked me a similar question, and my answer to him was, everyone needs their, to be their own best advocate, just like you were. You went back, you kept asking. That's the same with me. I was diagnosed within maybe four months, but I was told it was stress. So I went back and I said, you know, that's not what it is. It's not. And I, you have to be your own best advocate. And I would say to people, keep going back until you agree with the finding, just like you did, just like I did, just like Granny did. Um, a lot of people, young people, especially with stomach cancer, because we're not at high risk for stomach cancer, go back and insist on if you have to go to a different doctor, then go to a different doctor. But keep going back until you feel secure, until you think you found the answer. And Brandy, final comments? I agree with Debbie. Definitely educate yourself. Um, don't just take stress it's stress as an answer because I got that several times and I just knew there was something else going on with my body. So definitely be your own advocate. Um, educate yourself. If you suspect you have stomach cancer, go on that website, and there is so much information to help guide you um, through this. So, yeah, I think the key is just educating yourself on what the symptoms may be and listening to your body. Well, I can't thank you both enough for sharing on our very first broadcast on stomach cancer, debbiesdream.org, Debbie Zellman and Brandy Carrasco. Thank you so much, ladies. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you having us. So how was that for you, Jess? Inspiring. It's awesome. It, it, it echoes, right? I mean, we, we're disease agnostic as an organization, mm -hmm. but this, the commonalities, regardless of where it is, yeah. are the same. My experience is, like, you know your body better than anybody else. If you sense that something is wrong, something is probably wrong. Right. You need to fight for that 
I mean, I can easily see you walking to your primary care physician, they hand you some Prilosec and say, you know, feel better. Yeah. Well, Charlie, were you misdiagnosed? Uh, yes, I was. With what? Truly. They just thought I had a, uh, a canker sore. Ah, <laughs> that's a really bad canker sore mm-hmm. you yeah. have there. Just here's the some antibiotics coming back in two weeks. Push, wow, push some salt water around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they turned white when they found out the news. I mean, oh. they had no. I mean, so off the scale, rare that they just well, they would have bet the farm. Yeah. It wasn't mm-hmm. a tumor in my jaw. So it is about listening to your. I mean, I knew there was something wrong. There was a bump in my jaw, and it was not going away. I knew something yeah. was going on, but nobody would listen. My first trip to the campus doctors at Binghamton, they basically said, well, you should try carrying your backpack on your other shoulder. <laughs> That's exactly what they said. And take Robitussin. No, that was later. Oh, okay. Robitussin was later. Okay. But they basically said, well, you seem to be carrying a lot of, you know, heavy book bags back in the day. Like, it was a 40-pound backpack. Your attache case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they said, no, seriously. They're like, well, maybe you want to try carrying it on your, your right shoulder. But you, maybe, maybe you're getting, you know, some kind of muscular... Like hit a nerve or... Distension, nerve damage, yeah. That was it. So that was my canker sore. Yeah. It could be very dangerous. But you know what? I I also don't want to feel like they're wronging us. You know, sometimes we take the position like that they're the bad ones. But they're they're not not, doing it. But again, on the other side... they need to be more aggressive. They need to look at every possible thing that's going on because they're possible. Right. And we're crying out for it. But good luck with getting the insurance companies to pay for all those tests. That's the issue. Right. Is well, it's like if they have to deem it necessary. Yeah, right? exactly. The things and all that, whatever. Story of my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, we're out, of, we're out of time, but I want Charlie you want to play us out. What do you got for us? Don't wait for the lights to change or something strange to happen to us all. Because this is the time to take control. Do what you love, love what you do. You gotta love all you can. Waiting for you to do what you love. There's no other way, and don't be afraid. Just take every day and do what you love. Well yeah. done. You know, well at the end of the day, right? After all is said and done, we gotta do what we love and enjoy every moment we got because it's not about how much time we have on the planet, it's what we do with the time we have. Damn straight. Mm. You're here. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks for having <laughs> Carpe diem, baby. Carpe diem. And now our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, my goo. You got it again. <laughs> That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. Our 308th broadcast. Uh-huh. Wait for the, the drop. <laughs> All right, we have as much fun as we did. Smoking a stick at Super Cancer. We'd like to thank all of our guests tonight. Surprise drop-in, Charlie Lustman, Made Me Nuclear. Jessica McKenzie, Debbie Zellman, and Brandon Carrasco. Next week, we are off on hiatus for Memorial Day, but we will be returning to the airwaves on Monday, June 2nd for an exclusive broadcast highlighting the fabulousness of all that is Seattle Children's Hospital.
Subscribe to our show anytime for free on iHeartRadio Talk, iTunes Podcast, and Blog Talk Radio. Check us out anytime online at stupidcancer.org and stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Andy Goodman, Kenny Kane, Maureen Sweet, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, thanks for listening. We'll see you back here live in two weeks. Good night, folks. Happy Memorial Day. So...